Well, good morning, church. My name's Ellis. I'm the pastor of Weekend Services. Really glad that you are with us here this morning and choosing church instead of the Seahawks. Can I get an amen? amen. Yeah. Woo! I love the days when, when the Seahawks play at 10 a.m. because it means we actually get people who want to be here and they really sing out and they're into it and it's awesome. I love those days. Uh, we've been journeying the last few weeks through this series that we've called For the City. We're in the book of Nehemiah in the Old Testament, and we're learning all about how God's people came together to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And I showed up at church yesterday morning for a meeting, and I found some about more than 50 men all around the site, and they were literally rebuilding the walls, or at least the fences, of the church. So if you were one of those men, and we had at least one woman, thank you so much for being there, preparing the campus for the ministry that we do. If you missed out, then don't worry, we're going to do it again in the spring, so keep your ears peeled for that. Speaking of walls, they are great things when it comes to security. Whatever is behind a wall is, is kept secure by the wall that is around it. Two weeks ago, I was on a retreat with pastors, local pastors from the Northwest in our denomination, and we were meeting in a room, and every night the room would get locked because we had some musical instruments in there and they needed to be kept safe. And on the final morning, we came to the room and the retreat center staff hadn't yet unlocked the room. So we sent for someone to go and get the key, and we must have waited like quite a long time, like maybe 90 seconds, before your senior pastor, the Reverend Dr. Mark Toon, ever the model of patience, decided to take matters into his own hands. Have a look. <laughs> a drop. You want to help him? Mark, yeah. he said it's not worth it. Nope, no, it's definitely worth it. As <laughs> <laughs> he sets off the alarm. <laughs> <laughs> And there's the woman with the key right there. <laughs> Don't worry, I had his permission to share that with you. So he gives me permission to make fun of him. Over the last five weekends, Pastor Mark has been casting his vision of what it would be for us as a church to be for the city. So much of the church in our nation is known for what it's against. What would it be like if we were known instead for what we are for? And he's been talking about a couple of ways that we can begin to engage in this. And one of those is to pray. And we're actually praying every Wednesday at 6.30 in the prayer chapel. It's the room just behind that stained glass window. We'd love you to come and join us. But another way that you could engage in prayer for our city is by joining with some of the other churches in our city. You know, the church is often known for its divisions, but I'm a part of a group of local pastors that believe the church should be known for its unity, its oneness. And we're coming together this Friday and Saturday today for 24 hours of prayer for our community. I'm going to be leading worship at 7 o'clock on Friday night to kick things off. You can come and join me for that, or you can come at any of the next hours in the, in, in the following 24 hours, and the website there is praygigharbor.com, so you can find out more information about that there. 
So Pastor Mark's been talking about prayer. He's also been talking about noticing, about opening our eyes up and being willing to see what's really around us. And as we've been thinking about this topic of noticing, there's, there's one group of people in particular that we, we feel that, well, we feel, God's word feels is important for us to notice. And that is a group of people that the Bible calls the poor. And so this morning, we are going to think about what it means to be for the poor in our city. If we're going to be for the city, we must be for the poor. I had a, a pastor in college. He had a friend who was so convicted of how easy it is to forget the poor that he had the words, remember the poor, tattooed around his arm. It's so easy to forget the poor. And it isn't just today. 2,400 years ago, when the book of Nehemiah, the, the words in that book were taking place, Nehemiah and the other officials and nobles, they forgot the poor too. And so we're going to read about that this morning. We're in Nehemiah chapter 5. It's going to be on the screens. And I'm going to start by reading the first five verses for you. Now, there arose a great outcry of the people and of their wives against their Jewish brothers. So one part of the people is crying out to another part of the people. But there were those who said, with our sons and our daughters, we are many. So let us get grain that we may eat and keep alive. There were also those who said, we are mortgaging our fields, our vineyards, and our houses to get grain because of the famine. And there were those who said, we have borrowed money for the king's tax on our fields and our vineyards. Now, our flesh is as the flesh of our brothers, our children are as their children, yet we are forcing our sons and our daughters to be slaves. And some of our daughters have already been enslaved. But it is not in our power to help it. For other men have our fields and our vineyards. Would you pray with me? Lord, I ask this morning that by your Holy Spirit, you would bring to life these ancient words and make them relevant to us today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to make three points this morning from our text. And they are points regarding what it would mean for us if we are to be for the poor in our city. And the first point I want to make is that we must remember If we are to be for the city, we must remember the poor. I grew up in a small, white, upper-middle-class town in England, and we always had a nice home. My parents had two cars. We had money for food, entertainment, vacations. I, I never knew what it was to be poor. It wasn't until I was 18 and I took a trip to western rural Kenya. I I visited a town which had been hit very hard by the HIV AIDS epidemic. It was there that, that I first was confronted with the reality of poverty in our world. I know many of our high schoolers, when they go to Mexico, say the same thing. Like, I didn't know what poverty was until I went and visited these people. Now, when we live in a community like we do, it is really easy to forget the poor. Now, Nehemiah and the people of God, they also had forgotten the poor. For them, it was because they were, they were so preoccupied with building the wall around Jerusalem. Now, famine had arisen at this time, and as usually happens, famines hit poor people the hardest. In that time, they were reliant upon their own crops for food, and so when the crops failed, they didn't have any food, and they didn't have any money to go and buy food. And so in order to get money for food, they began to mortgage their fields and their vineyards and their houses. And still the famine continued. 
and they were going deeper and deeper into debt to the point where some of them were actually selling their own children into debt slavery in order to pay back those to whom they owed money, their own Jewish brothers and sisters to whom they owed money. And throughout all of this, the rich people like Nehemiah, the other officials, the nobles, the priests, they didn't even seem to notice. It wasn't until this this outcry came up from those who were poor in the land. People saying, hello, don't you see us? Don't you see what we're going through? We got these big families that we're trying to feed and and, and we can't get food ourselves because of the famine and and, and we've mortgaged ourselves to the hilt. We got debt up to our eyeballs and, and now we're selling our own kids into slavery just to try and get food. Do you not see us? Oh, church, it can be so easy for us, like Nehemiah, to forget the poor. I know I'm entirely guilty of this. I'm, I'm preaching this message to myself more than to anyone else, so I appreciate you being in on the group therapy session. We've got to remember the poor. We must remember the poor. This was a priority for Jesus. Jesus could have just accepted invitations to to rich and powerful people's dinner parties. But he didn't just do that. He intentionally set aside time to spend with the poor. And this was a priority for the early church. When the early church commissioned Paul to go and plant churches, they said to him one thing. I mean, they could have said all manner of things to him, but they said one thing we want you to do. Remember the poor. This was a priority for Jesus. It's a priority for the early church. It must be a priority for us today. And yet so often we go about our lives forgetting, neglecting, ignoring the poor. If we are to be a church that is for the city, we must remember the poor. Now Nehemiah forgot the poor until he heard their outcry. And listen to how he responded when he was confronted with this. He writes, I was very angry when I heard that outcry and these words. I took counsel with myself. He responds in a really emotional way. There's, there's anger inside of him. You know, I remember when I visited Kenya, I felt angry at the injustices that exist in our world at the fact that there is this cycle of poverty that so many people are caught in and they cannot get out of. I think anger is a holy and righteous response to, where, to, to the reality of a sinful, fallen world in which we live. And yet notice that Nehemiah doesn't go straight from anger to action. Going straight from anger to action is a bad idea in any and every situation. And I think Nehemiah offers us an example of how we should respond to that feeling of anger. Notice he says, I took counsel with myself. Literally, I I took some time to think it over. I took some time to reflect. That's the second point I want to make. After Nehemiah remembered the poor, he began to reflect. Remember the the man who I told you about who, who got that tattoo around his arm that said, remember the poor? Well, sadly, what I didn't tell you was that over time, his arm began to rub against the side of his body there, and the last letter of the tattoo began to rub off (laughs) until all that was left was remember the poo. (laughs) 
<laughs> you know, so often I think it, we get in our own way when it comes to remembering the poor, right? We're our own worst enemies, yeah? We might remember them, but then we're quick to move on and just, you know, we've got so much stuff to do. Or, or we might remember them and, um, and we say, oh my goodness, how, how, how can I even help them? I don't know what to do. Or, or we might remember them and be, I'm, I'm so afraid. I'm afraid for my safety or the safety of my family. Or, or, or perhaps we go, I just don't think it will help. We're so often our own worst enemies when it comes to remembering the poor. And so I think after remembering... After noticing them, we need to take time to reflect. One person I know who reflected a great deal on this matter was my father. I remember growing up, we'd often visit larger cities in the UK, like Oxford or London. And when we would visit those cities, there'd often be people on the streets asking for money. And every time we would walk past someone, and I kid you not, every time, my dad would stop and he would give them money. And so I asked him, Dad, like, how can you know that they're going to spend that money wisely? Like, how do you know they're not just going to waste it? And he said to me, Ellis, Jesus said, give to those who ask you. My call is to follow and obey Jesus. My call is not to question what those people are going to do who are asking for money. That stuck with me. I remember at my dad's funeral, we went to the pub afterwards and a few of us were sharing memories. One person shared about a time that him and his family really didn't know how they were going to financially make it through the next month. They couldn't pay their mortgage or their bills and they didn't even have money for food. And he shared about how my dad showed up on his doorstep with an envelope. And in the envelope was cash, enough cash to get them through the whole next month. I remember asking my dad one time, Dad, how are you able to be so generous? Like, we're not rich. We have our own problems. There are times when you didn't know how you were going to put food on the table. Why do you give so freely? They said to me, you can't outgive God. You can't outgive God. Our God is so generous. He has given us so much, Ellis. He will provide for your every need. And because of that, we can freely give without fear. You know, as Nehemiah took time to reflect in our story, I wonder if he reflected on some similar things to what my dad had reflected on. I wonder if he reflected upon the, the generosity of God to the people that God had taken them from exile, from being slaves in the Persian Empire, that he turned the heart of the king so that they could go home to their homeland, to Jerusalem, that God had provided what they needed from amongst the people, both in resources and in personnel, to rebuild the walls of the city, and that God had protected them from the attacks of the enemy. And I wonder if Jeremiah had reflected as well upon how God had provided for him personally. He was not experiencing the pangs of this famine. He was well off. He was rich in comparison to others. God had provided for his every need and in an abundance. I wonder if Jeremiah began to reflect upon the generosity of his God. And I wonder if we need to do the same thing. I wonder if 
after remembering the poor, we need to reflect upon the generosity of our God. We were once slaves. We weren't slaves in Persia. We weren't slaves to an earthly master. No, we were slaves to sin. And God, rich in mercy and love, set us free. He came to earth and took on the form of a servant. He came in the person of Jesus. He took upon himself the the consequences of our own sin. He stretched his arms out in love upon the cross and bore upon himself what we deserved. And in exchange, we got what Jesus alone deserved. We became heirs alongside him. We became sons and daughters of God, no longer slaves, but children of God, adopted into his family. Our God has been so generous to us, and not just in salvation. You will live in the United States. You will live amongst some of the richest people that have ever existed. You yourself are one of the richest persons that has ever existed in the history of humanity. You have been blessed in abundance. Sometimes you may not feel like it, but this is the reality of your lives. If you live here, you are rich. You have been blessed by God with material possessions and financial wealth. Our God is generous. He is generous beyond what we can imagine, beyond what we can comprehend. And I think if we are willing to take time to reflect upon the generosity of God, like Nehemiah did, then I think it will change our hearts and it will change our actions as a result. I think as Nehemiah reflected, he moved from anger to a state of repentance. And that's the third point I want to make, repent. First, remember. Second, reflect. Third, repent. After taking that time to reflect, Nehemiah called together all the people, and he charged the nobles and officials with injustice against the poor. He said to them three things. He said, firstly, you have been taking interest on loans from your Jewish brothers and sisters, and that is illegal according to Jewish law. You've broken the law. Secondly, he pointed out to them the complete irony of them taking on their Jewish brothers and sisters as slaves when God had just set them free from slavery in exile. And thirdly, Nehemiah put up his own hand and said, I have been a party to all of this. He said, I too am part of the problem. And Nehemiah led the people in a time of repentance. This is what happened, verse 11 in our passage. Nehemiah writes, return, or he said, return to them, return to the poor this very day, their fields, their vineyards, their olive orchards, and their houses, and the percentage of money, grain, wine, and oil that you have been exacting from them. And then they, this is the nobles and officials, said, we will restore these and require nothing from them. We will do as you say. And I, Nehemiah, called the priests and made them swear to do as they had promised. I also shook out the fold of my garment and said, So may God shake out every man from his house and from his labor who does not keep this promise. So may he be shaken out and emptied. 
And all the assembly said, Amen, and praised the Lord. And the people did as they had promised. Nehemiah realized that he was a part of the problem. He realized that he had contributed to the poverty of the poor. And he realized that he needed to repent. Repentance literally means turning from one way and making a U-turn and going to the, in the opposite direction. He knew that he needed to turn from being part of the problem to being part of the solution. And he called the people to do the same. And I'm here this morning because I've been personally convicted that my actions have contributed to the issues of poverty in our world. And I need to repent. I need to turn. I need to stop being a part of the problem and start being a part of the solution. And I'm here this morning to invite anyone else who feels likewise to do the same. I'm really thankful that Chapel Hill is a church that has maintained a commitment to loving and serving the poor over many, many, many years. And if you're feeling that that sense, that need to to repent, to turn in the opposite direction. There are so many ways that you can participate in, with this church, with this community in ministering to the poor. I started to think through them all this week and it, the list just went on and on. And so this morning, I just wanna highlight three ways that I think we can each be involved. If we're, if we're sensing that need to repent, to turn and go the opposite direction. I want to highlight three possible ways you could be involved in that here as a part of this church community. And the first of those is our financial assistance ministry. We have a financial assistance ministry. We call it Titus Ministries. It gives away almost $90,000 a year to people who are in need of rent payments, mortgage payments, bill payments. They need gas. They need food. And 90% of the people that we serve are from outside of our church. They don't attend here. It's really an incredible ministry. And it highlights for me the reality that in Gig Harbor, despite what we may see on a daily basis, poverty exists. Those people are in our offices every single day. I remember I got to serve a few years back for several weeks with our Titus ministry. And the first day, I'll never forget, hadn't been there more than 30 minutes when a whole family came in. They were a family from another country. They didn't all speak English. There was a grandmother, parents, and four kids. They were living in a one-room motel room. And the dad was going to be paid in a week for for the work that he was doing. But the hotel had told them, you've got to pay for the next week in advance. And they came to us and they said, we don't even have money for food let alone money for this motel room. And we don't know where we would go. We don't know anyone. And what a joy it was to be able to say to them, we'll pay for your next week. And, and here's some gift cards to go to the grocery store and buy yourself some food. And on the flip side of it, later on that morning, there was a young mom who came in. We'd helped her the previous month. We'd paid a bill for her. But that young mom, that weekend, She'd lost her young baby. She came to us that morning and she brought all of the clothing and toys that she had at home. She said, I just had to get them out of the house. 
And I knew that if I brought them here, you would be able to give them to someone who needed them. You know, the men and women who serve in that office are on the front lines of ministering to those who are in need in our community. They are incredible men and women. And you can support them by giving to the fund which they use to distribute to those who are in need. This fund is separate from our general giving fund. We call it our deacons fund. In fact, the envelope, the giving envelope in the pew in front of you has a checkbox which says deacons fund on it. You can assign a portion of your giving to the deacons fund. And the deacons fund is actually at about a a 10-year low right now. I've never seen it as low as it is today. So they could really use some money at this time. So that's one way you could practically turn and, and, and be a part of a solution. The second way I want to highlight is to think more carefully about how you shop. So much of the divide between the rich and the poor, especially on a global level, is a result of unfair trade practices between richer nations and poorer nations, especially surrounding items of food and clothing. There are many people in poorer nations, more de- in developing nations, who are producing food and clothing who are not being paid a fair wage for the work that they do. And we, as consumers in a richer nation, participate in this cycle of poverty by buying goods that have been sourced from producers who are not paid a fair wage. But we have the power to change what we consume. We have the power to change what we purchase. We can choose to purchase ethically sourced food and clothing. When you purchase food, you can look for the fair trade certification on food items. Yes, it will cost you a little bit more, but you can know that the person who produced that food has been paid a fair wage and that you are not a party into the cycle of poverty in this world. When you shop for clothes, you can research the ethical policies of clothing retailers to determine how they are sourcing the clothes that they are selling. You could even consider purchasing clothes in a thrift store where you're not even a part of that trade. Your trade is between you and someone who needs a job and Goodwill Industries has given them a job. You can consider how you shop more carefully. And in fact, we believe wholeheartedly in this at Chapel Hill, so much so that every year we host a fair trade marketplace. And we're going to host it again next month, the Festival of Hope, from November 15th to 17th. Every single product that we sell in this marketplace has been ethically sourced. Every single producer has been paid a fair wage. You can shop 100% guilt-free. Here's something just to consider. What, What would it look like if this year you said, I'm going to buy all my Christmas gifts at the Festival of Hope? Every single one. Maybe even include a little note with the gift to explain why they're getting the gift that they're getting. We have the power. We have the money. We can do something about this. So that's the second thing you could do. You could think about how you shop. The third way you could practically turn around and and face the other direction is to be prepared to bless someone who, who is in need on the street. We've been making these things for several years now called compassion kits here at the church. Often we do it as a big group and give it to the rescue mission and they distribute them, but 
I want to encourage you to consider making your own compassion kit at home with your family. It's, it's basically a gallon Ziploc with some things that, that um, the rescue mission have told us are particular items of need for those who live on the streets. And there's water, toothpaste, talcum powder, or baby powder, you call it. Um, always catches me out, all these American and Britishisms. Um, a deodorant stick, there's socks, there's, there's a razor, there's things that people on the street really need. And here's what you can do. You make one for each of your vehicles, you put it somewhere accessible, and then when you come to an intersection and you see someone asking for help, you roll down the window and you hand them this. And in there, there's even a note card so that you can write a note of encouragement to them, a note of blessing to them. Now, this is something that you can do with your kids. This is a great way to get your kids involved. Get them thinking about how we can love and serve the poor. There are going to be instruction sheets on the way out at all of the doors. The ushers are going to be handing them out. So grab one of those and then set to it this week, one for each of your vehicles in your family so that you can hand that out. So there's three ways that you can practically be engaged in, in turning and, and repenting. You know, if, if we are to be for the city, we must be for the poor. We must and we serve a God who has shown us generosity beyond what we can possibly even grasp. We don't need to fear whether he's going to provide for us. He will. Freely we've received, freely we can give. And so maybe this morning, God is challenging you like he is challenging me to repent. Remember, reflect, and repent. Remember the poor, reflect upon the generosity of God, and repent. Stop being a part of the problem, turn and become a part of the solution. We're going to close our service, the, the, the band are going to come out again, and we're going to sing. And as we sing, we're going to take an offering. Our ushers will, will come forward, and as I mentioned earlier, if you want to give to the Deacon's Fund, you can do that by grabbing one of those envelopes and checking that Deacon's Fund box I'd love it if you considered making that an over and above gift that you would continue your, your normal contributions to the general fund. It's worth me saying 10% of everything that goes into our general fund goes towards local and global outreach. It goes to, to ministries and partners like the Rescue Mission in Tacoma, the Northwest Furniture Bank, World Relief in Seattle, and many, many, many others. We wholeheartedly believe that God has called us to go beyond these walls, and so our hope is that our giving would reflect that. If you're new here, we don't expect you to, to give anything. In fact, as Pastor Megan mentioned earlier, we wanna give on your behalf. We want you to participate, but, but we wanna invite you to come alongside us as we give to those in need in our community. So if you are new, text hello to 253-851-7779, and you can select a local organization that we will make a $5 donation to in your name. Let's consider how generous our God has been to us and what we have to give. Would you pray with me? God, thank you for your generosity to us. I'm blown away by how good you've been. And Lord, this morning I pray that you would help us to turn our eyes towards Jesus. The one who loved the poor in such a beautiful way. I pray 
that your Holy Spirit would begin to align our hearts with His. That you would begin to lead us in your love to those around us who are less fortunate than ourselves. Lord, I pray that you would bless those who are giving this morning. I pray that you would help us to steward wisely the gifts that are given. Pray for our deacons as they distribute to those in need. You'd give them wisdom. Pray for our local and global outreach teams that you'd give them wisdom too. And Lord, I pray that you would use us as a church to make an impact for the city and for your name, we pray in Jesus' name.